As you all know, Sharp Football Analysis is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. You can choose from season-long, four-week, or weekly packages that best suit your needs. Use code ANGLES30 for 30% off any products site-wide at sharpfootballanalysis.com. What is going on, Sharp Football family? This is Rich Rivar, the resident Swami of Konami. And we are here week three. We've survived the first two weeks. We're starting to get some trends to develop. Things we thought were going to be trends from week one have been blown up. And we're starting to figure some things out. But I'm excited because I've got a great guest today. Uh, someone that I started to follow uh, about two years ago uh, in the offseason. And it's been exciting to watch his brand grow, uh, his follower count grow. And I like this person a lot because he speaks my language. If you guys have followed a lot of my work, it's typically I talk about how players score their points, archetypes of players. You know, everyone knows I tier my players by how they score and the archetypes of players they are looking for that little bit of fantasy arbitrage. And uh, this person definitely speaks my language in that kind of, uh, you know, umbrella. I was also mistaken for this person in Canton. Uh, someone came up to me and thought I was this person. So I'm excited to finally have Dwayne McFarland on the show, senior analyst now, senior fantasy analyst at PFF, uh, does the Fantasy Football Hustle show with Brian Drake. Brian Drake also owes me some peach crown. But Dwayne, what is going on, brother? I think Brian owes everyone peach crown. Or <laughs> he owes everybody some sort of drink. Oh, man, I'm doing good. I, you know, reciprocate everything you just said. I, I've been looking forward to coming on. I know we talked like two weeks ago and getting this scheduled. And just for the same reasons that you just talked about, man, I, I, you do speak my language. And so I find your uh, work, your insights highly useful. And it's, you know, that's the thing I love, Rich, like in this industry is everybody continuing to push, you know, forward and find these new and look and search, you know, for new edges. We don't always find them. Uh, Most, I'll be honest with you, most things I delve into and go look at end up not being worth a lot. Like it Mm -hmm. might be like a fraction and it may be some context that I can use for a piece, but rarely does something pay off huge that you go dive into just because, you know, there's a finite amount of ways that we can approach this game. But what I love is all when all the minds come together, like as you know, as not Cecil, as a Sigmund Bloom says, you know, the hive, right. When the hive comes together and we're not just repeating each other, but we're all like trying to find these new ways. And you're definitely in like that book for me. I'm always watching like, you know, what are you working on? What's kind of your new thing? Um, what are you leaning into? What are things you're shying away from? And, and there's a lot of really smart people in the community. So I appreciate all the work you've done and the foundation that you've laid. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, when you're in a fantasy, when you start out in this industry, they're kind of, you kind of go through a different phase. And the first phase kind of everyone always has is like the skeleton key phase where that you believe you're going to be the person to kind of crack the code and kind of have this enlightenment, whether it be like creating a new stat or kind of finding, like I said, just, just finding the skeleton key, but this game is not solvable. And you eventually kind of whittle down to what you're good at and kind of presenting the things that you believe are actionable and the most valuable, you know, in your voice. And then you kind of move into that direction. I think that you've definitely definitely found that here uh, as your brand has grown and continues to grow. So let's roll into why that has grown. You do kind of a weekly article and you can find it over at Pro Football Focus. Uh, and it's got all the, you know, their bells and whistles that you have access to, which is also a plus, but you do something that's called the utilization report where you kind of get into the weeds of how exactly how players are used. Uh, so before me breaking down, I'll just let you break it down. Tell people everyone what these utilization reports are and you know why they need to be going to check these things out. 
Yeah, this will, this will probably date me a little bit, but, um, you know, I am a child of, of snap counts, right? We, our generation rich got to be like the first really in like 2011, 2012 to start to fully take in like snap counts. And what do these mean? And I'll tell you exactly the moment that led me to start thinking about the utilization report. It wasn't fully hatched until later, but I would look at the snap counts for all these players and specifically for tight ends and running backs. I was like, man, like, I could find higher core high correlation with receivers pretty easily. I say high correlation. We'll talk about receivers in a minute, but like when I would get to tight ends and I would get to running backs, I was like, man, like Jimmy Graham is a top three tight end every week and his snaps are lower than like all these other guys. And so I knew there was something there. Like what's, what's the question behind the question, right? It's like, so I immediately started thinking, okay, Jimmy Graham top three, you know, tight end, but doesn't have the routes of, I don't know, name some random dude that was probably blocking a lot back in 2012. (laughs) And uh, so that led me on that next path, part of the journey. And it came down to, you know, routes, right? And so great, a tight end could be out there 90, 95% of the snaps, but if they're only running a route 60% of the time, it doesn't matter because in order to score fantasy points, you need to be running a route, you know, when the team is dropping back to pass. So that's like where the whole thing started. And it was with one little question. And then I started to that like whole thing, like exploded across like all the positions. And, um, you know, I just started to dig more and more into it. But why I really wanted to, to get there also was just because I knew historically that certain game scripts meant certain things for players. And I just thought there had to be a way like really now thinking about running backs. Right. There had to be a way that we knew if there was a trailing script like which back on the team would it most likely favor? And my hypothesis was, well, I probably need to know who the receiving back on the team is. So then my next question was, is, well, what is a, what is a for sure undeniable passing down in the NFL? Now this evolves over time. Like I've Mm -hmm. had to change these cutoffs like pretty much every year by a little bit, like as to how I define it. In fact, next year, I'll probably for the first time start including second downs in my long down and distance um, because it is getting to a spot where clearly in the league, when it's second and seven or second and six or more, more and more teams are just willing to pass. Used to be that was a really big gray area. So I would Mm -hmm. I would not that I would exclude it from my data, but I wouldn't use it to determine who a passing down back was because enough teams approached it differently that I knew it wasn't a super it wasn't a real clean data point. Right. So like today. Long down and distance equals third down and seven or fourth down and seven or more. Okay. It means um, short down distance means second, third, or fourth down and one or two yards to go. Right. So I wanted to start understanding. And the other thing I would do, Rich, you probably have done is I've, you know, I've read and listened to coaches for years and I would hear my two minute back. I would hear my, my, you know, my long down and distance to, yeah, my, yeah, my long down and distance to goal, uh, my passing down back, my X, my Y, my Z back, you know, all these different things. And so I also just started capturing all that, like all the things I would hear the coaches say, like, okay. And then what were the pervasive themes I was hearing over and over and over and over again? I was like, okay, they mean something specifically by this. And they may not even know, honestly, it's, it, it could just live, literally be living inside their brain you know, in a very intuitive format, you know, without them being able to specifically quantify it to you. Um, now, some could, but some may not be. Able, but I knew there was data there. And so what that led me to was really starting to go look at the league first, zoom out, look at the league. What is a for sure passing down? What is a more likely running down and situation, you know, and all those sort of things. And so as I started to break those down, 
as I gained access to even stronger data, specifically starting last year with Pro Football Focus, I was able to take everything to a new level because now I had all these, I had this baseline data I'd really had forever knowing like what situation equaled what. And now I actually had charters charting every freaking thing, knowing if it was a two minute offense, even if it wasn't inside the two minutes, right? Because typically what it means is you're trailing and you're hurrying, you're, you're in a hurry up offense really is what the two minute offense is. It's not no huddle, no huddle. You can come to the line. And you could just look there and you could, you know, make all like Tony Romo used to do. He'd snap the clock. He'd snap the ball with one second left every time, no matter that it was no huddle. Right. So no huddle doesn't equal two minute offense. So now I've actually got a data set that helps me with all these things. So I know I'm kind of going long here, but where I'm trying to go with it, as far as, you know, specifically thinking about running backs, for example, is now knowing what the high level breakpoints are. And then being able to break it down into the different kind of roles that we know we've heard from coaches and have the data to be able to actually go study that and look, is there something there? And so that was like a big unveil for me last year, having that specific information um, around every play and every player Um, before my utilization, my utilization report started like three or four years ago on Twitter. That's when I started testing them. I started, you know, picking up steam, but they've only gotten stronger and stronger. But from, from a backfield standpoint, it's like, now I know like for a running back, for example, a true every down back means, okay, you're out there on first and second down, probably 70% of the time. You're out there on third or fourth and long, so long down in distance. You need you you at least need half of those snaps. I'm fine if you want to give up half. The honestly more valuable part is that you don't leave the field on the two minute offense because in long down and distance you don't get target targeted quite as often because of the nature of the down and distance. If you have a quarterback that typically wants to throw the ball past the sticks, which they're co- they are mostly coached to do, unless your name's like Alex Smith, um, you know, or you know Teddy's even an exception this year you know, typically what the back is there to do is to buy time. And so pass blocking becomes more important on long down and distance. And the two-minute offense, right, there's first down, second down, third down, you know, there's fourth downs. It's about keeping the pace up and just having somebody that can get out there and be a mismatch against a linebacker or a safety. And so these were all started off as like different, you know, hypotheses really that I had. And I had the data now to start testing them. And so in every down back, what I'm looking for is, like I said, around the first and second downs, you at least want half of the long down and distance, but I want to, I want to be getting over 50% of the two minute offense, because what that does, all of a sudden you land in a script where you're trailing, you're down 10, nothing. And it's, you know, or you're down 10 points and it's halftime. Everything changes as the game goes on. We say way more 12 and 21 sets in the first quarter. So that's two tight ends or two running backs, you know, a fullback typically being one of them in the first quarter than you do in the second quarter, the third quarter, and the fourth quarter. Eventually things will shift back for teams that are leading that want to run the clock out. And so what I just started to figure out, Rich, is, okay, what type of scenarios happen the most? And then how many fantasy points are typically scored in those situations? And that's where I came up with all these break points. And like I said, they do evolve. It's crazy. Like the league's come a long way in just the last three years um, of what it means for backs. Yeah, that, that's been crazy just watching how much the, the league has evolved and how these things continue to change. I've actually started to do, like you said, you, you hit on something second, second down and long down distance. I started to do that for quarterbacks, bad spots for quarterbacks, uh, teams that have unsuccessful runs. I've done some work with some, some coordinators that have not really believed in that, uh, you know, and understanding, you know, the, 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 the <laughs> why you want to win on first down, the importance of winning on first down and getting, uh, you know, 
cutting, you know, over 40% of the yardage you need and, and how important it is to win on first down. Cause the key is to not get the third down. Everyone talks about third down success rate. You know, what's really good. Not getting the third down. <laughs> that's how, yeah. that's how you're successful. <laughs> like the way I simplify it is the more the defense has to still truly guess what you're going to do. It could mm-hmm. be run or pass the better off you are, yeah, which is I why third, yeah. which is why third and two is way better than third and five on third and right. five. They're pretty sure you're not running. Yeah. I've always called it offensive leverage, maintaining offensive leverage, yes, uh, you know, the, that's a great so, way. You know, staying, staying in the, the framework of being able to do whatever you want on offense and teams can't defend that when they don't know what's coming. Uh, so you've talked about, you've hinted at it. Like this isn't just like uh highlighting what players are due, you are also a fantasy analyst and you've brought this in to tie it into fantasy points. And you've kind of talked about uh, these different kind of breaking points of what creates the kind of players we'd like based on their utilization for fantasy, these guys that can break ceilings. Uh, and you've talked about the running back position. So specifically for the running back position, you know, what exactly is it? And, and people probably have a good idea at the running back position, but what exactly kind of usage are we talking about? Because I think there's some misnomers on what actually is an alpha back uh, versus like a, a guy that might just be playing, like getting like two thirds of kind of what we think an alpha back is. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously first and second downs happen far more than third or fourth downs. So they're still very important, right? Cause sometimes people will get like, like they'll read my stuff and I'll even see them like retweet something. They'll be like, yeah, but they're not the long down and distance back. And I'm like, yeah, but they are this and they are that. So they're still okay. You don't mm-hmm. necessarily have to own every single component. We love that when they do. Um, but, but you don't have to. So yeah, what I would say about a back, like when you truly want to have that opportunity to bust through ceilings and still carry a really good weekly floor. You at least want to be handling 55 to 60% of the rushing attempts. And so this is all based on going back and studying it historically against, you know, fantasy numbers. And look, I'm going to use percentages here because it's simple, but you guys all know there's more factors than that. So like you ultimately still have to look at the raw number of attempts, because if you have a team that plays really slow, mm-hmm. then let's say they play two play, Let's say on average, they, you know, average six, plays a game less than the NFL average. Well, that could, you know, in a 17 game season, that's nearly two games worth of plays. So you have to factor, you have to look at the, first you zoom out, you look at the offense, but for now, let's just focus on like the backs. I'm going to use these percentages, but just know that there is this other context that you have to take in, you know, to account whenever you're thinking about a player's roles, a role, which ultimately you're trying to equate to volume. That's what we care about. And so, yeah, you want 55 to 60% of the rushing attempts or more. Um, from a standpoint of the passing duties, what I have found is 50% of your PPR points do still come on first and second down. So you could still survive. Antonio Gibson is a great example, right? You know, it's he's my favorite because he's the lightning rod right now. He's the lightning <laughs> rod and it drives people nuts because they're like, he was a receiver in college. So it like, he, you know, that they think that means he should have to be out there, right? Um, at all the time. But He's still in a solid spot. You know why? He's handling 70% basically of the rushing attempts. He's getting almost all the first and second downward. Jay McKissick isn't getting any of that, but he just isn't quite to the elite level. And why? Because on long down and distance, he doesn't play. 100% of that goes to J.D. McKissick. Two-minute offense, even more important. Basically, 100% of that still goes to J.D. McKissick. And we saw that last Thursday. Yeah, because what happens is the game – the, the coordinators come in with a plan, but plans get blown up like really fast. And what I've found with these roles, and it doesn't hold true for every single team, is if I know their role, that's honestly more static than their volume. The percentages stay right. closer 
to true north than the volume because what changes the volume is the game script. Mm -hmm. How many turnovers happen? Do you get ahead? Do you get behind? Is the game close? That's those are other elements I always look at. Every running back, every player I look at, I slice also just by trailing, leading, and close scripts. You know, and do they have a significant swing? Typically, I can figure that out by these other things I look at. Like by looking at the profiles we just talked about, I would tell you, look, if 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 Washington trails, I bet you McKissick's on the field a ton, and he is. He's out there even more because when they when you trail, what do you do? You have to go to your two minute offense. So um, typically, it's hand and glove. They go together. Sometimes you find like some weirdness in the data though, or something that at least stops you, right? It makes you think about it. So. Um, we already talked about the 60%, you know, 55 to 60% of attempts, like 70% is even better. Um, short down a distance, you want half those snaps. And then in two minute offense, you at least want half, but I really prefer rich somebody that's getting 80 to hundred percent of the two minute offense, because what that does is no matter what happens in the game, leading tired or trailing the backs out there. And that's what you want. You just want a player that's out there with a chance to mm-hmm. get the opportunity. They don't always get it. But those numbers correlate a lot more strongly with consistent fantasy production. I know consistency, that's a whole nother conversation. (laughs) But for backs, as far as, look, there's a direct correlation between how how often you're on the field and, you know, how often you get the ball. I think most people can understand that. Yeah, absolutely. We Like I said, we saw that play out Thursday, you know, Antonio Gibson's running hot in the start of the initial game plan, and they kind of fall behind. And just by as a byproduct of where they got the ball in the second quarter, in terms of time on the clock, they had to go to the two-minute offense. And JD, everyone's like, why is J.D. McKissick on the goal line? Well, because they're in hurry-up offense. They're the two-minute offense. And they're they're running that. It's not that, uh, you know, they, they pulled, you know, Antonio Gibson in the middle of a drive, and he came off the field for the goal line carry. It's they were in that that specific offense in that role. And it's that, that kind of takes away from stuff. So I'm going to pick your brand on just a couple players here. We won't get sure. too, too in the weeds, uh, but obviously a, a hot button topic based on what happened last week and a little bit in week one, a little, it was more so last week uh, is Ezekiel Elliott and, and, and Tony Pollard and the, the role that kind of Tony Pollard had in week two. Uh, it was a great game plan against Brandon Staley's defense, which I maintain is like, you know, they invite you to run. They, they want you to run. That's the type of defense he plays He's playing shell coverage. He's going to give you light boxes. They want Derwin James to come do those, fill those run fits uh, and the Cowboys had a great game plan. So based on the first two weeks we've seen with Ezekiel Elliott, like what do we really have here in terms of his utilization? Is there any red flags here that maybe like we won't get to that, you know, maybe top five where he was drafted at? You know, I think there is a concern about being in the top five overall, though, his utilization rich is still really good. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you look at his snaps in week one, 83%, that dropped to 73% in week two. And I mean, including all plays and penalty, even penalties right now. And some of the data I'm sharing with you. So if it's like, like if it's like a percentage off from where you are, that's what it is. But rushing attempts dropped from 73% to 53%. And so it's only one data point for us, but what it tells you just nailed it. Like they invited the Cowboys to run the ball. And so the Cowboys obliged. They're like, okay, if you're going to stay in too high all day, if you're going to do these things and we're not going to be able to throw the ball, it's great that we actually have a decent offensive line, even though we're missing Lael Collins and we have two backs and that's what they leaned into. And so I think in those sort of scripts, that does hurt Zeke because in the past that was all Zeke. And we saw it actually in Tampa Bay in week one. If you guys go back and look before that game got out of hand, Pollard was much more involved in the first quarter. He was much more involved in the first two drives. So I think the Cowboys static plan going in is this is going to be from an attempt standpoint, probably like 60, 40 Zeke, you know, somewhere in that range, but Zeke's going to handle all the passing work. So what that means is two things. One for Pollard, 
and it's what's funny because again, this is where our, our brains can get in the way is what we've always thought of Pollard as is what a receiving back. He's not out there when they have to throw the ball. Even this last week, it was the same thing. Pollard's only been out there on the season for 6% of the two-minute offense. 94% of that has gone to Zeke. He's only been out there for 30% of the long down and distance. Zeke's been out there 80%. So 10% of the time they've overlapped. They've both been out there on the play. Um, so what I see with Elliott is, you know, a player that still, man, he's going to be really hard for him in this offense, I still believe, to not finish as a low-end RB1. There's just too much volume, 60% of the rushing attempts on the season, 76% of the routes. That's elite. Like if you get to 55, 60% of routes, that's really good. Alvin Kamara is at 65%. Now he gets targeted on a turb on a per route basis, much more than Zeke because he's designed into plays. Zeke is not. So there is a difference. That's the other thing that you have to look at is targets per route run versus the routes. But as far as Zeke goes, 76% of the routes, 90% of the short down and distance. And I love short down and distance better than inside the five, because inside the five is such a small sample size for some teams. Makes sense. Typically short down and distance backs are also your inside the five back. It's very rare that that's not the case. There are, as with anything, there are always, you know, examples where we can say, oh, exception, exception to the rule. Typically not though. Typically, if you've got a back that's out there second, third and fourth down with one or two yards to go, they're usually the back inside the five as well. So Zeke's getting 90% of that. Um, you know, an example, he's only got 50% of the attempts inside the five and Pollard's got 50%. I would expect that to be more like 80, 20 by the time the season's over, just knowing what we know about short down and distance. So all of that to say with Elliot, look, his, he's going to get more targets than what he's had. He's going to get most of the touchdowns for the Cowboys. And all you have to ask yourself is, do you think the Cowboys is a good offense? Do you think they're a good offense? If you think they're a good offense, then you're fine with Ezekiel Elliott. If you think the Cowboys suck, well, then you should think Ezekiel Elliott sucks. Um, but that's as simple as I can put it, you know, for Dallas. I think Pollard will be dependent on, is it a game where they stay close, number one? So that was the other difference between week one. Mm -hmm. If you go back to week one, the Cowboys, how often did they trail in that game? 62% of the plays by three or more, by over three points. Okay. And week two, they trailed 0% of the time by three point by over three points. So there were two things going on. Chargers invited them to run. The script stayed really close. They weren't trailing. That equaled better games for Pollard. So if you're trying to pick your spots for Pollard and, you know, <laughs> let me know if you're better at this than me because I suck <laughs> at this sort of thing. Like I use all the data. I'm like, okay, look, here's what Vegas says about the line. Here's what the matchup says. This is what this says. I mean, we could get as close as we can, but things can still go, you know, they can still go wild on you. I'd feel way better about Pollard's week-to-week -week value if I saw that he was just being involved more uh, in the passing game. Right? right. But he's not. So but what I think you need for Pollard to give you the standalone value that we saw last week, you need a close game where the Cowboys are being asked to run the ball and they say, OK, we'll do it. I love that. I love it. Yeah. So just recalibration kind of is where we are, you know, for expectations. Uh, one guy that is on an elite offense just is about to play the defense that Ezekiel Elliott just faced was dunked on on Twitter massively this entire week. Uh, people just are, are, are saying they're washing their hands. This player can't be good is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Uh, where are we with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in terms of, is there still things to latch onto here to say like this two week sample is not really, we're not really to dump the bag out here yet. Or, or should we, do we need to sell while there still is life in the. <laughs> Again. So this is a great example, man, of, of what we were talking about earlier, how percentages are one thing but you got to look at the whole picture. So when you look at Edwards-Alaire, 
71% of the rushing attempts on the season. Like that's, that's monstrous. <laughs> that's, it doesn't really get better than that. Honestly, folks, like you'll see some 80 percenters, but it's pretty rare. Like 70% like is that's, you're going to be in the top five percentile, like of everything that's going on um, from a standpoint of how much of, of, of the work you're handling from your team. And even as routes, you know, 59%. So 60%. I talked to you earlier about 65% mm-hmm. being where Kamara's at. Um, you know, tar- but then targets are only 5%. Targets per route run 7%. But short down and distance, 80% of the work going to Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So the way I look at Edwards-Alaire, you know, and you take the rest of the context in is number one, this is a passing team. You know, so the Chiefs, 67% of the time they throw the ball, 33% of the time they run the ball. You know, even when they're leading, the Chiefs pass 63%. That's a lot. <laughs> so they, they're not one of the teams that think, oh, we got to lead. Let's start running the ball more. No, and they haven't been that way for like two or three years now, uh, especially since Mahomes, you know, took over. They they basically abandoned ship on all of that. They, they jump ship. So what you have to consider is, okay, this is not a super fast offense, despite it being hyper-efficient. So their plays have been 65 and 51 through the first two games. That's including penalties. That's 116. That's below the league average. They don't particularly run with a fast pace. So this isn't just because of the way, um, you know, time of possession worked out. They are averaging 2.04 plays per minute. That's below the league average. So what you have is a slow, really efficient offense that wants to pass the ball all the time. So now what you just said, the word you said at the end of our last part, the recalibration. Now you have to recalibrate that 70% to reality. Reality is that 70% on most teams equals like 55 to 60%. And so it's not bad. It's still good, but it's not as elite, like as the utilization immediately shows you when you're just looking at a percentage, which is why you have to be careful with these things. And you only follow percentages. Um, They're best for predicting future, but they're not always the best for actually, you know, saying this is what a player's fantasy value is. That's why when I do the utilization report, like at the top of each team, I actually do a quick team breakdown, just like what I was giving you to give everybody context, right? Of Okay, here's what the offense looks like. Now, remember that as you look at the team. And so with Edwards Alaire, I think he's an RB2, Rich. I mean, I don't think we should all abandon ship. I mean, the Chiefs are what? Top X number of offenses has to be no less than three, right? If not number (laughs) one. So you've got the back that's going to score the most touchdowns on the team um, from a running back standpoint. You just need that variance to work back in your favor. So the way I look at it is you most likely took Clyde Edwards-Alaire at the end of the second or somewhere between the early to mid third, depending on your league size and depending on your format of your league. Um, Sure, if you can get something for him and you want to move him, go ahead. But I doubt you can right now. My guess is what you have, what you can get in trade value right now for Edwards Alaire is worth less than what he's actually worth. Right. I like that. I like that. All right. So listen, we talked about some running backs here. I want to spin this into utilization for wide receivers because this isn't just a, a running back report. <laughs> uh, and, you know, wide receiver, I think, is a, is a lot more wide open for some type of work like this. And it's something I've always done, you know, breaking down guys into how they uh, I've done it, like the value of different types of targets and why they're important, uh, because the one fantasy position that we know that kind of has always got lumped together is, well, this guy's a wide receiver, but we know that the wide receiver position on the football field is inherently different at all three wide make core wide receiver positions. So walk us through kind of what goes into the breaking down, what is relevant and kind of what we're looking for, for wide receiver play uh, and how, the, how they're actually utilized on the football field. Yeah. So receivers are honestly, they're tougher because 
pure utilization is much less likely than at tight end whenever we talk about routes and at running back about the things we just talked about. It's less likely to, you know, be the big differentiator and equaling, hey, this this receiver, right, is this much better. When I say utilization, I mean running routes, um, you know, just being on the field. Whereas that's it's a it's a lot closer correlation for backs and for tight ends. If they're if they're in a route, if they're getting, if they're on the field for the snaps, it's cleaner. For receivers, um, and this makes sense, right? Because a receiver, there's so much more going on. They have to get open first to get a target, or the quarterback has to trust them, even if they're covered, to throw them the ball. Um, the offensive line has to do a job. The quarterback has to do a job. There's so much more, in my opinion, going on um, with a wide receiver and their production and the variables versus what you're dealing with with a back and even a tight end. It's 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 really the hardest. So some things that I've really tried to fo- focus in on, you know, Rich, and and some work better than others. Like, and it depends. Again, um, there's a lot of nuance with these, but. Something, obviously, a huge one is air yards, right? And the share of air yards. So Josh Hermsmeyer, you know, godfather of air yards. Like, you guys probably don't need me to recap, like, why air yards mm-hmm. are important. But so there's there's routes, then there's targets, and then there's share of air yards. And those are the biggest drivers for me. Some other things that I layer in, um, I want to look at who's the quarterback going to on third and fourth down when they have to. And I also look at who's running routes. So last year with Tyler Higby, and I know we're not on tight ends, but it's a great example. It's the one that pops into my mind. There's some of the receivers, but I'm I'm getting a little rich for whatever reason. The receiver has come to my head. But Higby, last year when they were getting long down and distance, so remember, third down and seven or more, or fourth down and seven or more, Everett was coming on the field, and Higby was leaving. So like that told me, I was like, okay, an obvious passing situation is they're just putting Gerald Everett out there. Right. And so that's a big problem because you're probably going to throw the ball hundred percent of the time on third down and seven or more. And, and you're coming off the field. So even though it may be a smaller sample size, you know, of downs that are going to occur in the year, it's one where almost hundred percent of the time you're going to throw. So that's bad for a receiver. So that's another thing that I look at, you know, for the receivers and the tight ends. The other thing that I've really started to hone in on, and this again is hat tip Josh uh, Hermsmeyer is, you know, play action targets are actually worth more than normal targets. So there were 10 to 20% more, and I'm going to continue to do some more work on this, this off season, but play action targets are actually more valuable than non-play action targets. And it makes sense, right? When you think about football, play action creates what? More space and more confusion for the defense at the time, you know, of the snap. That means now they're even in more of a reaction mode than they were, you know, before the snap. And so if you've got a good coordinator that can, you know, pair in other things to go with that, like motion and all this other stuff, like those are the things I want to really get into, you know, this next off season is what are the other things that happened before the snap that potentially are really helping, you know, certain receivers, archetypes of receivers, receivers playing in certain positions. But for now, like play action, I definitely have been able to nail down. And so if you've got teams that are really good at utilizing play action, which more and more and more are becoming, you know, that's becoming more the norm. You know, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how defenses evolve, but that's another big thing. And then the last thing, and this one's less sticky, but there are certain players that it works for and it's end zone targets. Um, Some of that is randomness. And again, part of it is you just don't get a huge sample size. There's just not a ton of end zone targets on a season. You know, there's a lot more of these other things. You face a lot more third and fourth downs. You get a lot more play action. You get a lot more of these other things than you do of pure end zone targets, which makes that one a little bit tricky. There are certain ones, like we said, like, it works for like Adam Thielen for whatever reason. Yes. 
The Vikings love Adam Thielen, <laughs> you know, once you get to the end zone. Um, but I'm not as confident in that one. So I weighed it way less. Um, even in situations where I know it's historically worked, I'm still a bit nervous to like overweight it, even for a player like Thielen. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I've always used end zone targets kind of in retrospect for more of like a regression if a player is is score yeah. has a spike touchdown season, but typically doesn't have a lot of end zone targets. Take Keenan Allen, for example, last year. He he had the most touchdowns he scored uh, since his rookie year, but didn't have a lot of end zone targets. You know, he was he was not it's still big Mike. Big Mike was getting those looks into the actual end zone. He wasn't converting them, but Keenan Allen was scoring. That means he's running him in, right? If you're if you're converting touchdowns and not getting targets, means you're catching the ball outside the end zone and you're running it in. Um, so yeah, those are always the things we look at. Whereas Adam Thielen, it was more of like a conversion of end zone targets, but it was also one of these things like, hey, he's the foxhole guy. Like when they get here, like these these are the plays that are getting drawn up and we've already seen I that love two, that the foxhole guy yeah we've seen that two weeks into this nfl season again that when the vikings are there they don't that's where the bread is buttered that these are the plays that they're going to run and you see that so that's kind of how i use it in kind of retrospect it's kind of tough because they're tough to predict right because when we're talking end zone targets it's not always red zone targets you can have an end zone target from this is the Russell Wilson factor, right? Like Russell Wilson has been first or second end zone p- pass attempts in each of the past four years because he doesn't always throw them in the red zone. He's taking money balls. He's, he's throwing money balls and, and giving you those opportunities. Uh, so it's a little harder to predict, but it's nice to kind of have a data point to find in kind of a afterwards to say like, yeah, all right, there's, we can spot some regression here maybe. Uh, or these are the guys that are actually getting looks. They just haven't converted yet. George Kittle is one of these guys that we just can't grasp because he does get some end zone targets, but like, he's just historically not converted them. It makes no sense for a player of his archetype, but it's just been one of these bugaboos for his career uh, that just his conversion rate on these targets. I have to dig into exactly the plays and kind of go back and watch. It's like, what are these working? Is it just fades? Mm. Is it, is Mm. he not, is he, is he getting rub routes? Is he getting these types of things that can get him free in space but historically that's been the early kind of thorn and kind of kittle side and in, in terms of getting over as a fantasy ceiling outside of the 49ers pass volume which we'll probably talk to at 10 ends but you brought up uh you know the, the play action targets uh you know i didn't like have this on the agenda or anything but like do you do you have are there any guys you can share that kind of get a, a high volume of play action targets yeah hang on one sec let me um flip it over not to put you on the spot but no no it's okay i have it all here i just need to do a quick i think people would be interested though yeah yeah i see they're all titans players it's like (laughs) the titan players do score really well on play action targets so let me well it, 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 it ties into a lot of people brought up to how ryan Tannehill has he's number one in EPA and intermediate throws 10 to 19 yards the past two years. And a lot of it is that you had the play action success. You get those linebackers come just a little bit off their spot. You throw behind them money time. Uh. (laughs) So looking at the play action targets so far um, this season fit. And again, we've only got two weeks, so this is a bit, you know, small, but just some names that will immediately pop out to you. Marquise Brown, 50% of his targets come on play action. Marvin Jones, 47% of his uh, targets come on play action. DeAndre Hopkins, 45%. That's up. Uh, You know, again, two weeks, but five of his targets so far have come on play action. Jalen Rager at 45%. Um, Then you have Stefan Diggs at 45%. Terry McLaurin at 44%. Kenny Galladay at 43%. 
and Corey Davis at 42%, Debo at 40%. So that's your 40% club, just named off everybody that's over that. So if you look at historically speaking over the last few seasons, I do have this one written down, so I don't have to go back and look. The average (laughs) wide receiver sees 23% of their targets on play action. So you're talking about guys that are seeing 17% plus versus what the league average is on a target that comes out to being worth 10 to 20% more than a normal target. Oh, I love that. I love that. People will dig that. Uh, real quick, before we kind of dive into tight ends here, there's a couple guys I do want to bring up. One of the, the early highlights of this season is this role change that has finally come to fruition for a lot of people on big Mike Williams uh, so far through, through two weeks of the season. Kind of highlight uh, just the differences of what we've seen from early in Mike Williams' career kind of to what we've seen these first two weeks in hopes that this is, you know, an actual you know, thing here. It's not just he's gotten more targets. It's his actual role has changed. Yeah, and so, man, um, <laughs> you, you know, I talked to you about before the show, like lessons learned. I'm always writing them down. Or what is the lesson to be learned? And so my biggest regret with this preseason, because I spent a lot of time studying coaching schemes. I spent a lot of time thinking through a lot of different factors, but early in the off season, I was really on Mike Williams and I was kind of a believer in this, this idea that Joe Lombardi was going to turn him really into the Mike Williams role. But then I kind of, I talked myself out of it. Um, The more I started to look at Mike Williams, first thing I looked at is his, his average targets per route run for a a player being drafted inside, you know, like the top eight NFL draft picks was terrible versus pretty Mm -hmm. much everyone else historically. Um, Corey Davis had a bad rookie season, but then kind of came around after that. And he was only at 17% targets per route run. And so I actually moved him down my rankings and I put him on the cover of my fade article, which which was awesome (laughs) as my number one player to fade and a player that you should get rid of before your season starts, because he's probably still just the same guy. Keenan Allen really works intermediate. So why would you have two players working intermediate, which is still a question for me, because like that's where Keenan Allen works. And it's also now where Mike Williams works. And it's also where Jared Cook works. But it, it shows you that offenses can work a lot of ways. They don't have to always be layers to the field. This guy's deep. This guy's intermediate. This guy's short. There's a lot of different ways to divvy up a field, right? And to create mismatches and space for your players. Um, But yeah, with Mike Williams, you know, what I've seen is number one, his average depth of target is way down. Like he had been in the 16, 17 range. And that's my lesson learned. I went back after this and I then reran everything, taking average depth of target into account and looked right. again at his 17% targets per route run. And guess what that number looked like once you accounted for the role his coaches had put him in? Yeah, it was probably pretty high. It was good. Yep. So that told me, <laughs> and again, now receivers own the Ray dot typically, which is another thing I hearken back to, but there can be exceptions. And so what I should have done, I was probably too high on Mike Williams to begin the season, but by the time you know, we were at the season and I was finishing up my drafts. I was too far down on him. I should have at least had him in this middle range of, you know what, it could go this way. He's just this player. So I can't be all in on him, but it could also go this way because look, there are other factors and it's proven in the past. Like we've seen players like this do this. And so I found some examples, you know, some examples of those as well, but with Williams, the big telltale for me is a dot like the average depth of target now on the year is 9.9. He's not just being asked to run go routes all of the time. Um, he's getting to work inside the hashes. He's not just working outside the hashes. So they're, they're doing a lot of different things with him. And look, I mean, his targets per route run 
Like that's top on the team. Allen targets per route is 22%. You know, the, the, the targets are 24% to Allen and 26% to Mike Williams. My guess is those stay a little even. Allen probably eventually edges ahead of Mike Williams just because we know he's an elite player. But yeah, I, I should not have closed the door on Williams. And that's the big difference I see. You hear a coach say, I'm going to use him in this way. And it's perfectly playing out in 2021. Yeah, he was one of those guys that's interesting because, you know, I never I'm someone that always locks in on these archetypes of players and figures what they are. But one thing that always kept me going back to Mike Williams was that like he could it was always like a true alpha profile to him. He just wasn't used that way yet. So I kept saying like, well, if a coach just has religion here and uses him, the reason why he was drafted at pick seven, because you don't draft just the tertiary lid lifter at pick seven, if that's the, but the role they had him in for the first four years of his career. Yeah. Uh, I just, so I kept hold, held, holding on to that. You know, it's like, it, it, this happened with Will Fuller last year, right? When DeAndre Hopkins left the team, the way he was used early in his career was as this specific role, but there was always this, the way he was used at Notre Dame wasn't that way. And it finally got unlocked last year. And you say, yeah, see, look what happens. Um, so that's a, a great point to bring up and just about like confirming your priors and what players even ha- give us a multi-year sample of the archetype they may fall in, but then kind of also thinking back like a pro- prospect profile and what these guys were good at and understanding they can fill a different role. And there's also guys on the flip side of that, that maybe are pigeonholed in the wrong roles. I think Sterling Shepard is a, is a great example of this. The last two years when they had Golden Tate on the team uh, versus what the role he is in now and how much more success he's having, you know, getting to play back inside, getting to, to play, getting his ADOT even a little lower because that's where he wins. Um, yeah, being able to just can kind of remove, the, remove those priors a little bit can uh, kind of get into it. Um, you have, I've seen you tweet about this a couple of times and I'm, I'm great. I want to get your take on this. Uh, sure. You've talked about this could actually be like a really great tight end season. And tight end is the position that like everyone hates in fantasy because they're like really, there's one elite guy, there's a one B guy. And then it's like uh, a pick your poison, like every season, everyone kind of overdrafts the middle round guys. There's typically been a historical tight end dead zone, like the tight end, like the running back dead zone. Uh, but you've kind of highlighted this actually could be a great, ye season now for these mid-round tight ends uh elaborate on that for uh, some of the people because they might have some of these guys on their roster yeah so to keep it simple um for tight ends the equation is pretty easy you want to be in a route over 80 percent of the time your team is dropping back to pass like that's where it gets really good like you'll you'll see some players get up into the 90 percent range um so that's like the absolute tops but once you get to 80 percent you're in really good shape And then the next thing you want to see is a target per route run of around 20% or better. The elites like Kelsey, um, Waller, they're around 24, 25%, and they're typically up around 90% of the routes. And so now there's different ways to get there. So if you think guys think about Logan Thomas last year, and again, this year, if you want over 90% of the time he was in a route, guess what? For tight ends, that's rare. So it eventually caught up with Logan Thomas. Eventually he was targeted enough, even though he wasn't targeted at a super high rate per route, but that 90% number was enough to basically be the tide that lifts all ships for Logan Thomas. But when you can hit that nexus, when you can hit that true like sweet spot of you're getting those targets at around 20% per route run and you're over 80%, man, the hit rate on those tight ends, like it's phenomenal. We're talking top three, top four. And so now all of a sudden we've got all these teams doing it. You've got TJ Hawkinson that's over 80%, and he's he's at 21% targets per route run. 
And he's, he's boosted that number every year. Well, it's only his third year. So, I mean, he boosted it last year and he's boosting it again to start this year. I mean, Hawkinson looks great. Then if you look at Kyle Pitts, he's already over the 80% mark. He got over 20% targets per route run in week one. He just missed it by a couple of percentage points week two. I still think he's going to be there. So Kyle Pitts is in a really good spot. The thing with Pitts you have to watch for is how much he has to line up outside against better coverage. And so that does hurt. One of the things that makes the tight end equation work is you were getting your inside. You play against zone a lot more. You've got a typically you've got a slower player against you. So if you are a true offensive weapon at the tight end spot, your mismatch is probably greater than what we get outside where everybody's fast. Right. (laughs) You know, so so there's a there's a difference in the way these advantages play out, which is honestly another like layer of the onion. I want to peel at some point. Um, I just haven't gotten there yet with this. Um, but then if you keep going on down, Mark Andrews, man, Mark Andrews, what is the Achilles heel to Mark Andrews has never been targets per route. It's always been the number of routes that he's out there. Um, so if you look back to the season, you know, his second year, whenever he really exploded and I can't even remember Rich, if he was tight end three or four, he was way up there that season might've been tight end two, um, because that was pre Darren Waller, uh, breakout if I remember correctly, but didn't just wasn't on the field enough. His routes mm-hmm. run per drop back were like 70% and he lived on huge efficiency and he was able to break out. Well, last year he got that up nearly towards 80%, but he missed some games. Well, this year so far, like he's sitting right at 90%. He's at 90% and he's sitting at like 18% targets per route run. But look, Andrews is a guy that we know we've seen him be, we've seen his target share, you know, over groups of games be 24 and 25%. So Mark Andrews is in that club. Um, And then a couple of, you know, the the last main one really is Tyler Higbee. Tyler Higbee is never leaving the field. So you had Gerald Everett leave, went to Seattle. And so now Everett is basically playing, I mean, not Everett, uh, Higbee's playing 100% of the snaps and he's in a route over 90% of the time. The only thing missing, you know, is that targets per route Mm -hmm. run, but it's still strong. It's, you know, he's right in that 17 to 18% range. So, if he gets to 20 on the year, um, you know, he's going to probably be in the top six. So I just think there's an opportunity for Kelsey's still the alpha Waller's right there next. And then I would still grade Kittle as three, but I think the three players I just outlined to you, I, my guess is two out of the three expand our group. Kittle will, I mean, Kelsey will still be the top, but I think you see that next group below Waller be a lot closer, the separation being less than what we've seen and getting you know, a few extra guys that were like, wow, I actually love starting this player every week. And I'm actually glad I drafted them instead of just streaming. Right. Yeah. Uh, real quick. Yeah. You, you, you brought up Kittle and he's one of those guys that's always pushed an elite target per route rate, like almost 30% in his career. He's, he's kind of been crazy, but also is one of these guys that's just not getting the overall route run share. So like we're, I think a lot of people are freaking out on Kittle right now. That's why I bring him up, you know, two weeks into yeah. the season, uh, week one, the targets were, per route were there, but the, the eight has been low in both games and, yes. and consistent. So what do we got going? What do we, what's your overall pulse on Kittle? It's two weeks in the season. These things can change. Kittle's an elite player and Shannon's shown he knows how to use him. But uh, is, is it one of these situations where with Brandon, Ayuk starts getting targets. Maybe this thing kind of, you know, we're just never going to recoup this value. Or are you, cons- are you on the up and up saying like, this is going to figure itself out? I think it's going to figure itself out. You know, right now where I, you know, with IU, just to kind of put it there is, look, I know there's an injury. Um, there's a lot of things I love about it. But until I see it on the field, 
Like I, I read the piece from the athletic today and I'm like, you know, I, you know, I look at it and I'm like, this is still mostly puff. This is still mostly mm-hmm. a puff piece. This is still mostly, oh, Jimmy Garoppolo said Brandon Ayuk's good. Well, no shit. What else is Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> going to say? Like that Brandon Ayuk sucks. He's never going to say that. Now, and I like Ayuk. Look, Matt Harmon is like the dude of receivers. And he graded, Ayuk graded out, you know, big in reception perception. That's a huge part of my process every offseason is looking at how Matt grades these players because he watches them like no one else does. And he's got criteria. He does a great job. So I still like Ayuk. Um, and that would be problematic if he if he came back. But for now, I'm not worried about it. And Kittle, man, here's the thing. When you're running play action and people are really having to respect the ground game, the, the tight end, if you've got an athlete like Kittle, is still the number one mismatch. Like no one can – no one in the league can really run with Kittle at tight end, you know, from a linebacker perspective, they're having to worry about their run fits, which you talked about earlier. Cause if you don't with well, the 49ers, they're one of the teams that will actually say, okay, well, we will run it every time. And so you have to respect it. Most teams basically just want to get you to come down out of the look so that they can throw like the 49ers right. <laughs> are like, actually, Oh, you're going to come down out of the look. Guess what? We're still going to run it. And we're still going to smash you in the face. Like they're one of the few teams that'll do that them and the Ravens. And so Seahawks used to do it, but with Kittle, that's going to ultimately work, right? Most linebackers can't cover him. Most safeties can't cover him. And his routes jumped from 57% to 88% last week. Targets fell from 22% to 13%. Targets per route, you already said it, dropped from 31% to 13%. The dot was lower, went from five, six to minus two last week. But it's just not something I'm worried about because he's we've seen it, you know, um, Rich. He's too good of a player. And so on a situation like this, perfect fit in a scheme, a player we know that is a really good player, I don't buy in to the fade. You know, I'm just not. I, I love that. You know, what's funny is you talked about what you did with Mike Williams. Uh, I did that with Debo Samuel. Uh, I was on Debo Samuel over Brandon Ake the entire offseason. And then like in the 11th hour, oh, I love it. And in the 11th hour, I kind of was like, I did like a target article and I was like, all right, yeah, I'm going to move Brandon Ake back ahead of him. And I felt so bad because I was, you know, I was telling, you know, subscribers and stuff like did take Debo first, take Debo first, you know, not even being down. And I, you like Debo is such a great value. I think he's going to be the number one receiver on the team. And I well, did bailed. the same thing. I I did the same thing. I did the same thing on Debo. Honestly, like when once and once, you know, the reception perception stuff, you know, hit like it was was planted. It was because it really does matter. It does matter. I want the player that can do more that can be applied to the field more broadly. And that's what it was. Uh, Yeah. And I think you hit, though, on something really important. If Ayuk does make his way back. So here's why I'm kind of out on Ayuk now, Rich. I want your fault. Thoughts like I talked about, look, I don't, you know, with the Shanahan trust, whatever, what's what's happening. I don't know. Like, I'm not going to even try to read the tea leaves anymore. Once he starts playing, then I may trust him. We broke Kyle Shanahan this offseason for sure. We did. (laughs) When I look at Debo playing as well as he is, we are we just talked about Kittle and the player that we know historically he is. Part of the idea behind Ayuk and being so high on him beyond just his talent was that could he take the step forward and really lead the team? Or could he at least be the 1A, the 1B to 1A for Kittle? Well, now Samuel's playing so well if he's healthy, it's an offense that runs the ball half the time. Mm-hmm. My thought is like, what are we waiting on with Ayuk? Because at this point, Debo's not going to disappear unless he's hurt. Kittle's not going anywhere. And we know this team's going to continue to run because that's what they do. So the, the idea ahead of the season was great talent could be applied to the field in many different ways. 
you know, uh, got draft capital, all these things. He had, uh, he had a ton of great metrics for breakouts, right. In year one, he hit a lot of them. Like it was great, but now like, I feel like we've got to adjust. Like we're two weeks in, I think there's no way Ayuk hits the ceiling. We thought, even if he, even if it is just a hamstring, because now we're back to, this is three players and a run heavy offense. So for me, it's like, what are we waiting on for Ayuk? Like how big is it? Even if he's a really good player, I think it's less than what we thought um, before the season started. Yeah. And that was always my concern coming in and my other nexus point, which hasn't happened yet. And it may not happen this year was once Trey Lance plays and the RPO game and the quarterback mm, runs are now yeah. involved because when the quarter, when you have a mobile quarterback, pass attempts go down anyways they typically don't support more than typically one guy in an offense let alone the third guy so I that was kind of my breaking point was you know hey get Debo is the cheapest guy also no matter what the quarterback play is his role is kind of foolproof uh and then I like you said the reception perception came so this is a Matt's fault this is my own fault but I also because I did a target article where he stood out and it was like oh the types of targets full field targets like you said maybe there's just more of a ceiling here so I should have this kind of factored into the ranking of you know his range of outcomes is just going to be greater and now we see Debo in that role and, and he, you know maybe it was going to always be that plan for how you can just open the door for Debo but like you said Debo's just played too well I think for to, to put back in the bottle at this point and also Debo's just not getting the three yard a dot that he had a year ago it's he's actually getting the you know ball it's, <laughs> you know it's funny so you went up to the Kings Classic so you know Bob Long so mm-hmm. You know, Brian Drake, who does the fantasy football hustle with me, he he was up there buddying around and he was talking with Long. And so Bob, during that week, drives around like all these people that are there for the Hall of Fame. And so he's done it for years and years and years. So he had John Lynch this year. And um, sorry, Bob, if I'm divulging like insider information, but it's past now. But Drake calls me. He's like, dude, he's like, I just talked with Bob Long. He says that their guy is Debo Samuel that Ayuk just isn't ready. He's struggling. They like him, but Samuel's their guy. And oh, by the way, Mostert's their dude at running back. Like he will be the starter. He's going to come out and carry the ball the most. And I'm like, whatever, man. Like Lynch must have been drunk, you know, and week one happens. I mean, I'm texting him. I'm like, holy crap. I was like, he told him the truth. This is like all correct. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like John Lynch basically gave Bob Long, like, you know, the keys to the fortress on the 49ers, on the 49ers offense. So uh, I thought that was a pretty funny story. Yeah. I'll have fantasy value and, you know, pour one out for most of that. You know, what a snake bitten career. It's a bummer. You know, cause it's, his story's so good. You know, yeah, the, the, what is. he went through to get the opportunity that he was finally given and to have it, you know, be pulled the past years the way it has is, is a real downer. Um, hopefully he bounces back, still gets another shot um, in the league. Uh, but yeah, what a, what a great story, a little insider information there. I love it. Uh, let's bring this home here. One thing I always do with the guests, we do a segment that's called Starts and Sneakers. We kind of, a lot of shows are going to talk about good fantasy players for and for good reason. But, you know, here we kind of go into the weeds a little bit on some players that are, Ranked outside of the industry consensus as starters for that given week. Maybe some players were just higher on. Uh, maybe some players that if you're in a bind and you need a Band-Aid, uh, we can hopefully be a lighthouse and a guiding beacon to say like, hey, there's there may be a little opportunity here for this guy to get in your lineup if you're grasping for uh, a role here. Maybe we in the bye weeks that will come to be higher. Uh, the week two scoreboard was at quarterback. I had Kirk Cousins. That one worked out. Uh, Davis Maddock had two at Tunga Viola. Uh, sad face there. Uh, thanks, uh, Austin Jackson and the Miami offensive line. Uh, I had Javante Williams. He was pretty mad. He was looking for that game script to kind of help him out. 
Davis had Naheem Hines. That played out even worse. Um, I had Jalen Waddell tied to his two tongue of Loyola. Uh, Jalen Waddell is a guy we didn't really talk about, but I'm a little concerned about the situation he's been kind of forced in into usage, uh, this, this pure slot near the line of scrimmage role. I, I don't know if we're going to get the upside that we were hoping for out of Jalen Waddell. Davis said Hollywood, uh, Marquise Brown, great, great play. Great call. If you were able to get him in the lineups last week at tight end, we had Jared Cook and uh, Gerald, uh, Jared Cook and Gerald Everett guys that really did nothing. Gerald Everett uh, doubled his routes. He was out there on the field, but uh, no targets. Uh, so Dwayne, I like to kick it to the guests first. What quarterback are you looking at? It's a good quarterback week. I think that you're looking outside of the top 12 uh, for a little sneakster start here. Yeah, it is a good week for quarterback. I mean, um, and you can tell me if this one's too easy and I need to go away, but I have some good data on it. I mean, so Justin Fields right now is sitting at 18. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think he's going to be inside the top 12, and it's really simple why. Last week, once he came into the game, he handled 21% of the team's design rushing attempts. He also scrambled on 21% of his dropbacks. So those two numbers, whenever they get over 20% and 10%, much less 20 and 20 it's really hard to finish outside the top 12 historically. Now, if he totally just totally blanked in the passing game, you know, it could happen. But if, if he even just puts up 200 yards passing and a passing touchdown to go along with the yardage and a rushing touchdown, it's going to be really hard for him to finish outside of the top 12. Um, so, but it is a good week for quarterback. You know, I will say that. So um, it's, it's, it's a little deeper than it usually is, but that would be my pick. Yeah, he's mine too. I'm not going to pivot. This is the first time we've had an overlap with guests through through two weeks now. I can go a different way if you want. No, 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 no. This is what we want. So this is because this is reinforcing, right? For listeners, if maybe they're on the fence, Justin Fields just got the job. Maybe they're looking at. Maybe they have Ryan Tannehill. Maybe they have uh, one of these guys that are in that that bucket that they're they're deciding on. So maybe this helps them. But you kind of hit it in the head. You look at last week. Just look at the game Jalen Hurts had. uh, You know, struggled passing. Thanks, Nick Sirianni, because you had a great game plan week one, and then you made Jalen Hurts play just like he did the final four games last year last week uh but you hit you hit it on uh the head if he does it if he made bricks passing the football there's upside here for rushing for a floor i went back and i pulled all his dropbacks even from the preseason so he's had 83 dropbacks from the preseason and into the two weeks a little bit he's played and he scrambled on 14 of them 16.9 percent which is for 421 yards the the, the the yards per scramble definitely inflated but the highest scramble rate last year to put this in context was jalen hurts at 13 and a half percent and this isn't even factoring in any designed runs like you talked about it's just scrambles on dropbacks so we're gonna his bears offensive line he's gonna be scrambling too so i love the opportunity there uh they're road dogs other thing i like about fields in context of his Bears offense, is he's going to throw the ball downfield. You know, small sample, but his eight out so far has been 10 and a half yards. Andy Dalton's average depth of target so far has been 4.6 yards. He's thrown one pass further than 15 yards downfield in a sample. Like, how is this modern this modern NFL offense? Uh, you have a quarterback, and you could take the low eight out and say whatever, but one pass over 15 yards in a sample? Uh, come on, man. <laughs> Yeah, that's bad. That's bad. And what's funny is you see when you're watching the Bears, you see it like like it's it like the data matches exactly everything your eyes are telling you when you come back and look at it. Yeah, yeah. You know, he could have had a better final line. I think last week his on target rate was was good from a clean pocket. The Bears kind of sold him out on a couple balls. Definitely Allen Robinson. That's a play you expect Allen Robinson, the caliber receiver, is to make uh, on that 35 yard pass. 
even though I don't know if you guys even qualified that as an official drop or not, because it was a little bit of a contested catch, but that's other plays we count on Allen Robinson to make. Uh, so here's uh, the position that's been the toughest kind of for everyone to pick so far. And it's running back because as you know, running back is just not deep. There's just no depth here. Uh, but a lot of these players, people have to play because either the, the, the way we've drafted the way early season injuries have played out, we're playing these running backs that aren't ranked as industry, you know, consensus top 24 guys. Uh, so what do you got for us here uh, as a, as a running back play? So the easy route, which I won't take the easy <laughs> route would be you play Trey Sermon if Mitchell's out, right. Cause it's kind of trending that way. We'll see. I haven't got to look at the practice report today um, or you play Sony Michelle, right. If, if you've got Daryl Henderson out, I, those are the easy ones, but I'll take a tougher road here and I will actually call it at Melvin Gordon. And so, uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, Rich, because we look at these data points and some of it you want to let a trend develop. But at the same time, sometimes once you wait to let a trend develop, like everyone's on it, especially if you're thinking DFS or it all depends on your format. Um, But for Melvin Gordon, like here's the trend that I'm seeing. Yeah, they're splitting carries. He and Javonta Williams right now. And I think Javonta could still eventually take him over, like as as the season goes on. So no one listening to this, take this as the. Oh, that Dwayne McFarlane guy likes Melvin Gordon for the rest of the season over Javonta Williams. Didn't say that. We're talking about week three. But what I saw, um, despite the fact that there's, their rushing attempts are still split, if you look at it on a targets per route run you know, basis, you know Gordon is much higher than where Javonta Williams is. Well, I say much higher, but it's 12% versus you know 8%. But if you look at the short down and distance, um, bumped up to 71% last week, whereas it was only 29% for Javonta Williams. If you look at long down and distance, it's still split, but the two minute offense was slightly going more towards Melvin Gordon. So what I'm seeing is from a targets perspective and from a carries inside the five, even though they're splitting things, the more valuable touches right now could be going more towards Gordon. And, and it could totally be gone next week. This is me like jump, trying to jump ahead on a trend to give you guys something cool for this week. But um, that's where I, I, I see Gordon is uh, right now inside my top 30, you know, in my rankings. And we're trying to look at guys that are outside the top 24. So he's my guy. I like that. I like that. I like the mm-hmm. the, the, the the reason to bring that up too. I think, you know, Melvin Gordon's a guy a lot of people have rostered, but probably don't always think they're like, ah, do I want to play Melvin Gordon? Uh, you know, he had the long touchdown week one, but so I think that's reassuring to a lot of people. Uh, mine's probably a little closer to the top 24. He's only, he's ranked, uh, what, he's 28th right now by the industry. I have him a little higher and it's Mike Davis. I understand that there's really nothing exciting about Mike Davis. And this, this is the reason why I didn't draft Mike Davis in any leagues because you see the efficiency is just not there. It's what we saw at the end of the season with Carolina. You know, he just wasn't a a hyper-efficient player with the touches he was getting. He was just getting a lot of touches. But those touches are still kind of happening for Atlanta. You know, I know that the that Coral Patterson had the 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 touchdown, uh both the two touchdowns last week. And I'm a little concerned maybe if you know in the red zone we're going to see a little more Coral Patterson than we'd like to see. But Mike Davis still running a lot of routes. He's still getting a, a the lion's share of the carries. Yeah, he's going against a Giants team that's been run on pretty well the first two weeks. They've had 5.4 yards per carry to opposing running backs uh, to open the season. So uh, it's not a sexy pick by any means, uh, but I do think that if you drafted Mike Davis where you did, uh, there's still a little bit of hope that he can still give you like a baseline floor production here. And if you get a touchdown from this week, uh, you're in business. Like it. Yeah, you can tell me how wrong I am on Mike Davis's utilization because no. I don't have it. Uh, but no, no, you're no, you're right. Um, honestly, <laughs> I play in a ton of like FFPC leagues and stuff like that. And last night, Corderell was available a bunch. I did, you know, and I knew I was probably going to miss him, but I just didn't put a ton 
out there mm-hmm. on him. Um, I think Davis is still clearly the lead guy, even though he's not great. Um, and to be honest, Patterson did not look good running the ball. If you guys go back and he watch, never really has, but <laughs> it was just the receiving work. And I think it's going to end up being pretty fluky. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I agree with everything you said. I thought, I think Davis is a good pick there. All right. So, so let's we do a receiver. Uh, yeah. Hit me with the receiver. All right. So, um, I mean, I guess we can give people a stack here uh, since we said Justin Fields. Oh, there you but go. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'll go with Mooney on this. And so, you know, the thing for me is, I mean, we're in year two um, for a player, and he's at 25% of the targets on the season. He's in a route 96% of the time that they're out there. His targets per route run is not quite at the 20% I want, but 19% is still really good, which, oh, by the way, is tied with Allen Robinson on the team. So um, Mooney right now, um, looking at fantasy pros, he's sitting at 47. So, I mean, I'm going about, I'm going 11 past our cutoff of 36. Uh, not a player that I targeted a ton in the offseason, to be honest with you. But the way I look at it is um, with Fields, he's also a player that's willing to hold the ball longer. Um, if you talk about Andy Dalton, you kind of already gave the outline of Andy Dalton. It's like, okay, ball hits my hands. I spin it to get the laces where I want them, and I'm freaking throwing the ball like as fast as I can. We're not going to get that um, with Fields. Now, Fields is still going to have to read the coverage, right? He can't just get ear hold, you know, on a sack like what we saw in the preseason. So there's definitely some risk with this one. Um, but I think there's a lot of potential upside this week with Mooney. So a player that's ascending in his role, we now get a quarterback change. Potentially the quarterback change helps out. Mooney, you know, have a shot at, you know, hitting one of these deep balls or hitting a ball, you know, big run after the catch coming off of some of this play action using the RPO type stuff that we're going to get with Justin Fields this weekend. I like that one. I like that one. I think he's going to be a popular DFS guy too. Those stacks because people are going to want to play Fields now. Uh, I'm going to go with Cole Beasley. Uh, Mm, You know, I like that one. Yeah. I'm going to go with Cole Beasley this week for, for, for this reason. So Washington right now is giving up a ton of slot production, but it's not typically when you say, oh, they're just giving up a slot receiver. There's a reason why they're giving up production from the slot. So Chargers wide receivers had 12 catches in week one for 144 yards in the slot. Last week, Sterling Shepard had five for 65 from the slot because Washington is blitzing at the third highest rate in the NFL right now because Chase Young and Montez Sweat aren't getting home right now. They're dialing up extra pressures. Jonathan Allen's balling out, but those two edge guys aren't getting home right now. And Washington has been forced to dial up a lot of to be blitz heavy these opening two weeks. And when you blitz, you got your hot read. Uh, teams are blitzing Josh Allen at a good amount right now. He's getting pressured on 40% of his dropbacks. So I look for, for Cole Beasley to kind of have his week one production when the Steelers were getting all that pressure on Josh Allen. I look for him to be that hot read. He had the 13 targets in week one. I think this is a spot where he's going to be heavily targeted, uh, not just because Washington gives up a lot to slot receivers. It's because there's a reason they're giving up a lot of slot receivers. So they've got a blitz. They've got to try to get home on uh, – Josh Allen, uh, I'm looking at Cole Beasley to get a lot of targets here. Yeah, All right. I like that one too. Good All stuff. right, bring it, bring us home here with the grossest, uh, the, the the digging into the, the deepest well here. Uh, the, none of the tight ends. I had Juwan Johnson week one, and it was such a luck box uh, uh, outcome. But uh, this is not it is a luck the- box. You nailed that. <laughs> it was. Yeah. A, I mean, he ran like nine routes wow. and scored two touchdowns. That's freaking impressive. It was a, it impressive. Was, it was a luck box for sure. But. Uh, you know, you saw last week, you know, we had two guys, I think, that were targeted, what, five times total. So what do you got for us for tight end? Yeah, so for me, um, this week it'll be Austin Hooper. We know Jarvis Landry is going to be okay. out. We'll Ooh, see. Like you know, Beckham Beckham is, trail, is trending hopefully in the right direction based on what I read about him today in The Athletic. You know, it, it sounds like he's close. 
But even if Beckham's back, um, you know, this is an offense that is designed a lot around play action, uh, similar to what we talked about with the 49ers. That's Stefanski's really got, you know, he's had roots in a lot of things, but where he really, you know, kind of, we'll call it wet cement, not full on dry cement, but it came from Kubiak. And so really that's what he's doing is he's running an advanced version of what Gary Kubiak and Mike Shanahan, you know, ran um, a little more along the version of what Kyle has. But, you know, the only problem here is there are three tight ends. They like to get them all involved. So David and Joku is all, mm-hmm. all obviously out there, you know, a good bit as well. But we saw the routes jump from 42% to 69%. Targets jump from 10% to 24%. Targets per route run 21% to 25%, you know, week one to week two. And so Jarvis Landry, you got to think about the area of targets that he vacates. It's really more in the area where the tight ends work. And so if you think about the the way the offense is now designed, I think Hooper picks up a lot of those and Joku will get some of them. But even if Beckham comes back, like he's going to be working more intermediate and deep. He'll get some short passes, but it doesn't really matter who's out there, whether it's Higgins, Beckham, um, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who kind of had his shot like two weeks in a row and couldn't get it going, unfortunately, for himself. You know, those guys are all going to work a little bit further down the field. And so that, in my opinion, leaves a, it's, it's a nice spot for Hooper, who's average depth of target. So, you are, for, so far this season is 4.3, which typically Landry's like between five and eight yards. So he's going to operate right in that area. He'll be the one that's on the field the most. So give me Austin Hooper. I like that. I like that one a lot. Uh, I'm going to go with what play. I really have no data to back this up because it's the first game he's going to play, but a lot of people want to see how it works, Rich. (laughs) A lot of people want to play Daniel Jones this week. So I'm just going to swing on Evan Ingram in his first game back. Uh, I mean, they didn't use the two tight ends at all. They didn't use either tight end at all the first two games uh, because neither of those guys are very good at football anymore. And Evan Ingram, the the jury saw He's probably not. He's given us a lot of data points that he's probably not that good at football. Uh, But a lot of people want to play Daniel Jones for you know, reasons of the Falcons, uh, Dean Peace is a, you know, a guy that's going to send a lot of heat. He likes to dial up blitzes. So maybe we get some of those quick reads. Atlanta's also really kind of given up a, a lot of production to tight ends because the, their style of defense that they play so far puts t- a lot of man coverage on, on tight ends. Typically, you know, tight ends get a lot of zone coverage, but Falcons will give you a little man look. So they like the blitz so much. We saw Goddard have the touchdown in week one. Uh, Zach Ertz kind of run free down the sideline in that game for a long pass. And obviously Gronk did his thing last week. Uh, so listen, I have no reason other than say like swing with Daniel Jones stack, but uh, I'll go with Evan Ingram in his first game back. I like that one. I like Evan Ingram. I think Evan Ingram is actually a talented, you know, he's, he's, well, his profile says he's talented, you know, uh, at least we have that. We'll, we'll have hey, next guy, year to one, see one, where he lands uh, to kind of figure out like, like, if there's still a exactly. light time. <laughs> exactly. I'll be excited to say that, you know, one player we didn't hit that I'll just throw out there to everybody. Um, Cause like this, the rookie wide receiver craze, right? So we saw it last year and it pushed receivers up boards, uh, rightfully so to some extent, right. This summer, and so um, Devonta Smith, man, like, wow, 92% of the routes, 26% of the targets, 21% targets per route run, 48% of the air yards, 33% of the end zone targets, 40% of third and fourth down. Jalen Hurts loves Devonta Smith. I know he kind of came down last week, um, you know, from a standpoint, like if you just look at his pure box score, right? but all the utilization stayed there. So if you guys, you know, if you own Devonta Smith, like stick with it, I, obviously you don't need me to tell you that, but if there's an opportunity to go grab him, you know, because maybe somebody's like, oh, week one was great, but week two, you know, and you can throw the BMI reference in there to try to, <laughs> you know, to get them to go lower on him. But Devonta Smith, man, I am really, really impressed um, with everything that I've seen from him. Uh, Jamar Chase, too, but Devonta Smith gets a slight edge so far. And he's the guy, like, 
he could he could be the alpha, right? Like no matter what, Jamar Chase is going to have to split things up with two other receivers. And if you look at the way the Bengals are running their offense, it's just it's too slow and they're not throwing enough right now. That could change as Burrow gets healthier. But right now, I definitely lean to Devonta Smith as my top rookie wide receiver. I love that. He's a guy I drafted a ton of. Uh, I was really disappointed in Nick Sirianni's game plan in week two, especially as I was so happy with how they adjusted in week one, had the, you know, more of a quick hitting offense, let those speedsters make plays. And then last Mm -hmm. week, last week, it was all Jalen Hurts outside the numbers and vertical, like we saw in the last four weeks when Jalen Hurts took over. So hopefully, you know, we get a melding of both worlds uh, for Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith, uh, because, I still believe that they can make this offense really work. They've got too many good, talented, fast players to not. Uh, So, yeah, hopefully you can grab uh, Devontae Smith before Monday night. Dwayne, it was a pleasure. Let everyone know where they can find you, where they can find your work. Uh, You know, pump anything you want on your way out here. Sure. I mean, you can find me on Twitter, on Twitter at Dwayne McFarland, D-W-A-I-N-M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D. You can also find my work at Pro Football Focus. And then I also do a, so I do the podcast there with Ian Harditz, typically three to four times per week. And then I also do the Fantasy Football Hustle with Brian Drake. So that's our homegrown podcast. It's every Tuesday night. So you can find that at FF Hustle on Twitter. Um, that's it. Utilization report usually comes out every Tuesday. I put out my rankings and tiers on Wednesday for each week. I do my fades, smashes, um, upgrades, downgrades for the week. Article comes out tomorrow. And then next week, um, I will be doing a kind of like a, I haven't decided what to call it yet, Rich. You may have some ideas, but like it's all around this true every down running back. I don't know if it's a workhorse or if it's like, what, what do I need to, I got to figure out what I'm going to call the thing, but it's really about all the stuff that we kicked off the show with. I love that. And listen, if you're someone that likes the, the work I do, I mean, Dwayne's someone doing it at a lot better level as you heard him on the show. So definitely you make sure that you're still considering if you haven't found him yet, that you go find his work right now. Dwayne, it was great. I hope you have a great week three. All you listeners, I hope you have a great week three uh, and we'll see you in week four. 